Welcome to the Behind the Glass podcast. Today we're doing our first ever pastor or preacher profile. We're excited about it. We're excited to sit down with Pastor Jesse Starr, ask him some questions, learn more about him, and hopefully it's a good podcast. So stay tuned, enjoy, and step behind the glass with us. Welcome to the Behind the Glass podcast, where we are face-to-face discussing biblical topics that are relevant today. Join us for interviews, discussions, and musings that will bring laughter and enlightenment. For now, all you have to do is sit back, relax, and step behind the glass. Not sure about that glass breaking. I don't know who dropped it. but Somebody broke the glass, Isaiah. Somebody did it. All right. Well, I'm excited, uh, Brother Jonathan, to uh, learn more about our pastor, who is also a preacher, and um, I'm just excited about what God has for us today. Absolutely. Last time I think we interviewed him, we didn't. We had some uh, clips queued up. We we forego those today. But last time I put a clip out on Instagram, somebody thought he might have passed away. So it might be for the best that we don't put those out. You know, it's just my ministry. <laughs> it's just his ministry. So. Well, when you say pastor, probably one of the first thing that comes to mind is preaching. People just think of it synonymously with preaching. But in reality, that's about what you do for two hours a week. So what is it that a pastor does? As, as your role in a pastor, what is it that you do? Well, probably the scripture that gives me the most guidance in the definition of a pastor is Acts twenty twenty eight instructs us to feed the flock and it says over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers and uh, it it speaks of the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood so in those components a pastor cares for the flock which is what the Lord purchased with his own blood and he also feeds the flock as a prop as a part of that. So I would say caring for the flock and feeding the flock. Right. And I'm sure as continuing with the analogy of a shepherd and flock and all that, that keeps a person very busy because there's a lot of stuff that can crop up and come up. When you first got in, not got into pastoring, but realized that that was the way that your ministry was going to go and now looking at it where you're at now in your ministry, is it what you imagined it was going to be, or has it been a lot different? I would say it's been a lot different also because society has changed so much that the things demanded and expected of a pastor are different. The biblical definition stays the same, but the people you're reaching have changed. Right, that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. So basically the role has evolved over the years, but it has evolved not because the role of the pastor has needed to change, but because society has changed, making that become different for the different generations and different people that you have to minister to and guide. Absolutely. So has it changed? Do you feel like the different you've preached or pastored 
a home missions church, a, a church in Hillsboro, and then this church now. Do you feel like the different cultures between those different churches and even the different cities and now different states that you've pastored, and do you think that has affected the role as well much? Definitely. Uh, people come from different variety of backgrounds in society, let alone in the different cultures within the culture, and they have different assumptions, they have different uh, the way they approach things, and so each state, each place I've been, the people are different, it affects how you can pastor them. Right, that makes sense. So let's go back to the beginning. Before you ever became a pastor, before really maybe you were even in the ministry yet, what what was the uh, spark that made you decide to go into the ministry? I would say initially it was, I felt a what we would call a call from God as a boy, probably about first time I really felt it tug. I was about 12 years old. And I had a different kind of upbringing. We were in a logging camp in Alaska. Dad was starting a church. He was also a logger. And in the process of that, we were out in the middle of nowhere in the, what they call the bush. And he had no help. So I think the Lord dealt with me at an early age so that I could be of help to him. So that's how it started, not as a pastor, but as in ministry. But from there, I mean, the way ministry works or worked in the way I think it should work you might be uh, swabbing a toilet or cleaning up a classroom or, you know, do a variety of things. They were all considered ministry. And then from there comes the pulpit ministry and things from that. Right. So do you feel that growing up, you, you kind of uh, alluded to it a little bit, do you feel that growing up in a pastor's home affected that ministry at all or, or affected that decision at all or I, you also alluded to a call, which is something that we'll talk about later. I, I think that I would, it cuts both ways. First of all, I did not want to be one simply because my dad was one. His dad was one. Those, that was reason enough for me not to be one. I'm kind of an individual. That's, that's how I approach life. So initially, it, I was cool on the idea because I did not want to just do it for that reason. At the same time, being in a minister's home... Uh, gave me exposure to things that you wouldn't get otherwise that I'm sure helped accelerate my development. Just like if I was a banker's son and listening to banker talk and, 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 and deals and whatnot, I would might have a leg up if I went into banking right? because of the exposure. Yeah. Yeah, it makes it a little bit more natural in the, that area. <clears throat> Do you feel, you mentioned that you did... But do you feel like you were called, and was that necessary? Go into that a little bit. Okay. 100%, and if there was a percentage higher than 100%, I would consult that percentage. I believe a call is imperative. Uh, anybody who sits down in today's society and says, to, I want to be a pastor, and that's just in a, a approach it like a vocation. When they get into what a pastor does or what it entails, 
you're going to have a high attrition rate because they really don't know until they've been there. Right. The thing that keeps a person in the ministry, and we've been talking about pastoring, I think it is any ministry, is the call. It does two things. One, it anchors you in in moments when things are very difficult. The second thing it does, and I know we'll go into this maybe a little at some point probably because do preaching, but when you step behind the pulpit to preach and you have a consciousness of your call, it keeps you focused that you're not there to please yourself, you're not there to to please the people, but you have a sovereign responsibility before God. It's connected way back to your call to preach whatever it is that God wants the church to hear. So I think a call is very necessary. It goes it plays into some of the teaching that has even been going on as of recent where what's the why, the motive behind it all? Because because if you're just up there to, because it, you treat the church as the corporate world where you're trying to climb a ladder, then your your why is going to be mistaken. And when you get behind that pulpit, it's really hard to lead. And because that's what you're doing when you're preaching, when you're, whatever you're doing behind that pulpit, you're leading. It's really hard to lead when it's just so you can sound good and feel good and climb through a rink and maybe even get a slap on the back when you're done. God's not political. He doesn't yeah. play those games. God's real. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So what was it like growing up in a pastor's home? And Isaiah, whenever you want to interject, feel free to. But what was it like growing up in a pastor's home? Well, first of all, my, my dad didn't want to be a pastor because he didn't want, his raise, want, didn't want to raise his kids in a pastor's home. And I think he tried to make it, because of that, I think he tried to make it as positive as possible. And so there were pluses and minuses. I think you learn a lot of good things. Um, I think you see the sacrifices and sometimes called upon to make sacrifices, quite frankly, as a, as a boy or, you know, a young person. You don't have the calling. You don't have the desire to make the sacrifices, but you're doing it because that's what your dad is doing. For some, that creates resentment. For me, it, I think... It was a positive enough experience that I would say I learned a lot, and it taught me a lot, and so I came out of a very positive. Right, so it was a good influence, something that probably even helped you a little bit to become aware as as you became a, a pastor yourself. Did you feel like it created additional pressures for you? Absolutely. You're in a fishbowl. Um, if if you're in a pastor's home and you get in a fight with a kid out behind the church, it ratchets up the consequences quite a bit. <laughs> if if you're if you're not a pastor's kid, you might be able to slide by. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Was there a moment? Because that brings a different background for you. For was there a moment that you had to decide that this was going to be you, the church, God, living for God, was going to be you, or did you feel that maybe somehow through osmosis? that it just happened. When I was about nine, Dad made a statement to me in he in his way. He said, Son, if you think you're gonna ride my coattails to heaven, you just have to understand it doesn't work that way. You're gonna have to get there yourself. For me it became very personal. There are probably two places in my life. One when I was about twelve 
I'd already received the Holy Ghost. But that moment when I was 12 in a logging camp by myself, it felt like, and I had my own moment in my bedroom on my knees with God. From that day on, I never looked back as far as serving God. Went into the ministry, was doing some preaching through my teenage years. When I got into college, I went to a secular college with other things on my mind, kind of put preaching on a kind of a side note. I was still doing it, but it wasn't the thing. And, and I had an experience with God where I basically felt God say, you're going to choose tonight. Either you're going to give it all to me or you're going to give it all to this, but I'm not sharing anymore. And I had to walk out of that room with God being the first thing. Those two experiences probably brought my life into focus and helped me realize if I was going to do this thing, I was going to have to be all in. And that's the only way I've been able to do it. Yeah, I think that's something that almost is lost. Um, Pastor, I had something that had just come to mind. You know, I was thinking about how um, people that are living for God and they desperately want to do the will of God and they want to find their purpose in the kingdom of God. And maybe this will bring some reassurance to those people. But there seems to be a very sharp distinction between those who will have a secular job and yet be very successful in the kingdom of God um, and those that are basically called to not necessarily a higher calling but a, a greater responsibility or maybe even um, a greater demand on their life in that having a job simply is something that God is not asking of them but their entire life then is committed to the ministry. Not saying that there aren't pastors that have jobs, but it seems as if God makes it very clear to what he really wants. Um, because I think there's there's a lot of people that are that are struggling in that they they are not sure if they're working the right job. They're not sure if they're doing the right thing for the Lord. But it seems as if God really had you on a on a path and he spoke very clearly to you about what he want you, wanted you to do at that time. Definitely. Well, I so my grandfather pastored, my dad pastored, both of them were loggers, and they pastored and logged. So from the standpoint, if you look at it, I would be in the first generation of somebody that only pastored. And they were very effective in what they did. And I know that God uses some people in that way. For me, when I got to that point with God, I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to do something along those lines, thinking by doing that I would have the income, I would have you know some, some things to fall back on. And God convicted me of that. And I've never been able to do that. And... But I don't cast any aspersions on anybody that has a secular job. I will say this. I do take umbrage, and this is going to be a little bit, but with the term bivocational, that has come into our, our apostolic culture. And the reason is, in my mind, when you say you're bivocational because you work a job and you're in the ministry, you are equating your job on the same level as your ministry. If you are called as long as that calling remains first 
Okay. And as long as whatever you're doing is secondary, I think that's the only way it works. The other thing about God, about being comfortable whether or not you should or shouldn't, it starts with a relationship with God that you can have enough confidence to know when God's speaking to you. For me, I absolutely know that this is what God would have. So I'm very comfortable with that. So a person has to, has to know their calling to deal with that. Now, right job, wrong job, that kind of thing. If you are seeking God with all your heart, if you are trying your best to pursue the will of God with all your heart, and you make an honest mistake, and God is able to correct that mistake, you're fine. If you're not pursuing God with all your heart, I think that is when you have to worry more about the job, whether it's right or wrong. I think if you're pursuing God with everything, you will make the right decisions. And if not, he can correct you. And so you can relax and be what you are. Do you feel that, you mentioned the term bivocational, but do you feel that pastors that um, back in the day, like your dad and your grandpa, that worked a job and pastored, there was a different mentality, obviously, that went along with that. And do you feel like that maybe has changed and maybe even affected some of the ideas and philosophies that are being presented now where where the church, I believe, feel that in some ways it has become a little bit corporate in certain in certain places and in certain areas and in certain situations where people are just trying to become a minister because that's the highest highest deal do you feel like maybe with the transition to we see uh, it, full-time pastors all the time very common I and mean, it's a good thing but do you feel like that maybe has attributed to that when full-time pastoring becomes a mark, or full-time ministry of any kind, becomes a mark of achievement, you've lost the point of ministry. First of all, I would say the first thing, if someone's called the ministry, I think as a pastor, I'm very comfortable, comfortable with them doing whatever they can, and this is going to sound strange, to not do it. Until it's so compelling they can do nothing else. That has they have to answer this call. So, because I do think the idea, the corporate concept, Jesus spoke against it. He said, "The do not as the Romans or do not where where when they have authority, they're in power and and they view it as a as a power move. But he that is greatest among you, let him be the servant. Right. Let him be the minister. So." So if ministry becomes a bar or a mark of achievement, you've missed the point. Mm-hmm. And I do think we have trouble with that. Right. Yeah. That, that's something that needs to be thought of. And I, it is a good point where, where do everything you can to avoid going to the ministry because there, there should be something that is deep within you. Because if it's not in those times of trouble and then when there's not money flowing into the church and there's not people flowing into the church, then what's going to keep you there? You mentioned a little bit about your college days, and then we know that you decided to go to ABI. What was the influence or the thinking behind going to a Bible college? Well, first of all, I would qualify the moment by saying that was then, this is now. And there were not the opportunities that there are now where you can get education online, these kind of things. So at that particular time, I was already in college. I'd already left home. 
And I think for me, it was, I prayed about it, sought God about it quite honestly, uh, had some pushback from my own dad because he wanted me to get a college degree. Uh, after praying, seeking God, I felt that this was to go the, the thing I ought to do. Weirdly enough, as I was trying to select colleges, I come across the line that said, if you're going to go to school here, you're not, they're not going to uh, pay your way. You're going to have to work, and you're going to have to you know, make your way. That appealed to me. I didn't want to go somewhere where it was just easy. You know? Right. So when I went, I think it was for me at that moment a statement of I'm giving you everything now. The the value today that I would attach, we're talking about the other way around, is the value of being able to stay in your local church, have the benefit of your pastor, and not being put in a place where you're in a in an environment where officially you have no pastor. You're there temporarily. And as a young person, your life does not have a lot of oversight. Where if you stay in the local church, you're doing some things online, you have the benefit of that pastoral oversight, and you don't lose that. So all that to say, what was it for me? I think it was a statement being made of, I'm giving you everything, God. And and then, of course, it was there. I met my wife, so yeah. it was it, that was good. The best part of ABI. Absolutely. And and then today, I just think the society's changed a bit. Right. Yeah. That's that's one thing that that sometimes people, and maybe even me, I'm when I say people, I'm just using a general generality, uh, have a have struggled comprehending is how society changes. If it worked that way back then, then it's got to work the same way right now. Right. Yeah. Thanks for for sharing that, um, Pastor. You know, I I noticed in uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, Isaiah makes a statement, and he says that he hears the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And I've heard from various ministers that they've admitted very openly um, and, and um, transparently that they have ran from the call. And I'm sure they find out how miserable that that is. Um, it seems as if you were at a place where you were ready to answer, and I'm sure you're thankful that you did. Um, you had mentioned that there was an experience that you had where you felt like it was a perhaps a defining moment, um, and and that led you to Bible college. That led you to um, returning back. Um, I think you had mentioned uh, to me before that you you came back to your dad's rather than pursuing other things. So there's definitely a loyalty there that you had. And, and I mean, do you have any advice for those that are, um, they're following the call of, of God and they're pursuing the ministry? Maybe just, you know, that same attitude that Isaiah had where he says, here I am, send me. That just seems to be such a needed answer to God in these troublesome days we live in. Absolutely. And ironically enough, that was our class scripture, by the way, in that one. When I was at ABI, Jeremiah sent me. I believe that's Isaiah 6, 8. You know, when I, sometimes when we, let me, let, me, let me approach it this way. In Scripture, 
when the Jewish nation saw Jesus Christ, they saw Isaiah chapter 6, which was the vision of the exalted Christ. They saw a Messiah that came perhaps on a white horse that would deliver them from their oppressors, would make uh, you know, society smooth and, and would rule society in peace and all of that. And that was, that's true. What they didn't see was Isaiah 53. What they didn't see was, you know, Zechariah, they shall look on me whom they have pierced. And they, they didn't see what would be the valleys of their future. When we see a calling, we feel that call. What I saw, my call was, I felt this, this compelling within and this vision of God using me in a great way. I didn't see the moments when my reputation would be questioned. I didn't see the moments when I would be asked hard questions or I would be standing by the bedside of someone that was dying and didn't know God and I was helpless to do anything as they passed from this life. My point is, when a person feels called, they need to answer with all their heart and then they need to trust God and they need to trust the people that God has given oversight in their life to help them to be able to, to fully flesh out that call and to fully be developed to be able to answer it in, its, in its, its totality. Now, until then, they're going to be used, and they're going to be used, and I think they're used greater and greater and greater and greater as they progress. So, person feels called, and they end up teaching uh, assistant teacher in the in the nine to eleven year old class, rather than viewing that as an obstacle of man, God's called me to preach mass meetings. They need to look at it as a part of that answer. That makes sense. So when I said, "Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do," there were two things I did not want to do. One was get involved in youth ministry, and the other, Christian education. I felt a call to pastor, and if I hadn't pastored. I evangelized for a while. I loved evangelizing. I would evangelize. The two things that I spent the next almost 20 years doing was youth ministry and Christian education. <laughs> so you don't always know how that's going no. to be fulfilled. Yeah, that's interesting. It's also interesting. The call in general is interesting as you... It, what is a call? What is it's, it's a call to preach, but it's a call to minister. And that, that call... It's not about the mass meetings. While while that will be where some people's ministries trend and head, um, it's about reaching souls. Absolutely, that, that's the bottom line. It's the motive behind it all. Absolutely. And if if we can't do that on the individual basis, if we can't do that in the nine to eleven year old class, and why should we be able to do it with a bunch of adults where we might get more amens instead of laughter and dirty noses, status, right? recognition, affirmation. And it will tell you, you get no matter where you get in your ministry, there's a human need. There's a book written called The Significance Factor. Everybody wants to feel significant. How's a preacher feel significant? That is, to feel like you're being effective. The problem is, you're going to have the same need when you're preaching to those adults as you do when you're trying to reach those kids. You're always going to be wondering if you're making a significance. Right. Yeah. And 
And if you're wondering that, you'll never be able to be fulfilled in your ministry because you'll always need someone to slap on your back. And if you get one after one message, when you preach a really good message, you'd want two. Absolutely. You know, yeah. And, but somebody said a long time ago, if you take credit when you drop a watermelon, which is preacher language for when you, you preach a, a message, you feel like just flopped. You take credit for that. You'll take credit for the good ones. And so the idea is you understand you're there to minister, not to impress. Right. Yeah. That makes so with that, Paul, I, I've kind of pondered this a little bit. He's going city to city, getting thrown out of these different towns, villages, whatever it is that he's ministering at. And he, he gets he has a message at Mars Hill that all that goes down. And he doesn't get thrown out of that city and he goes into a kind of a little bit of a spiral. And do you, do you feel that? Because I, I kind of wonder if he was at that time going and that throwing out was a in in a reverse way a sign of you're doing a good job because you're preaching it till they're it's affecting them and they're not liking it anymore. Whereas theirs like it had no effect and so it it had this uh, spiraling effect. And then later on in the gospels or not in the gospels but in, in his epistles he would write about how that no man should should glory and stuff like that. And even in acts when, when they were trying to worship him, he's like, no, don't do that. So obviously he understood the, his place, but it almost seems like that in his journey. Mm-hmm. And there's probably some credence to that. You know, you, it's hard to gauge success, but when you preach, you're going to get, when you're reaching people, you're going to either be rejected or received and a mass strong rejection. Ironically enough, is also in its own way a confirmation of the effectiveness of the message, as long as it wasn't something you just, you know, being obnoxious. But as much as people receiving, because it depends on what you're touching. Of course, he touched and and connected to their flesh, and they rejected. Well, that's that level. What you're after is that person who's going to respond. Right. So you mentioned your early ministry where where uh, you went to back to your dad's church, and then you also mentioned how that basically at a relatively young age you you got involved in youth ministry and in uh, Christian education. But coming out of Bible college, what was the timeline there a little bit? Okay. Well, when I came out of Bible college, uh, I graduated in 1987. I spent one year as a single evangelist, and I preached around in different places, and then was married in 1988, in fact, in June of 1988, and we went from there to Oregon City, Oregon, with the blessing of my pastor. We're talking about trying to know, I'll tell you, when on a morning, I was praying, God if you want me to change directions in my ministry, you let me know. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I was evangelizing. That afternoon, my pastor came to me and said, Brother Gary Gleason stopped me today and was wanting to know if you'd be interested in coming to Oregon City. That was like three hours. Wow. To me, that's a probably one of the quickest answers I've ever gotten from God right. and something like as serious as that. So we wound up going, we were there for three years. Uh, I was involved in this Christian school as a youth leader and then became a state 
youth leader, a district youth leader for that state of Oregon. And then after three years, while I was still in youth ministry, we went to uh, a place called Newburgh, Oregon. We were there for three years and started a church. And then for the ne- after that, the next 14 years, we operated a Christian school. And for the most part, I was a good part of that. I was youth president and pastoring at the same time. So, so if, I guess for the first... That covers the first 20 years, three years as a youth leader, three years as a home missions pastor, 14 years in Hillsboro. That's a lot of transition. What was the transition like coming out of Bible college into, into actual, I shouldn't say actual ministry, but you you know, the transition from a college setting to a, to a more life setting. You're at college, you, you wind up getting, and as a young person, you wind up being very idealistic. And I was teaching one day in our Christian school. And I made the statement something to the effect that that Moses died in the promised land under the law, but through the Mount of Transfiguration, he he made it to the promised land through truth and grace, Jesus Christ. And one of the kids popped off and said, "Where'd you learn that in Bible school?" <laughs> and uh, and by the way, I had not. But anyway. Um, you know, you're, you're there in the reality of it all. So I think you're idealistic, and then you start seeing the real world, and there is a transition to that. Right. Where you're in Bible school, you feel like you're going to come out, and everybody's just going to listen to you. You're just going to, you know, be able to impact your world. And you get out in the world, and it starts pounding on you. Right. And that's good for you. Yeah. You it need it. You. Yeah. Like somebody said, what, what, what would the world be without gravity? You'd be weak. You wouldn't be able to have any strength or whatever. It's that gravity that limits you, but it also develops you. Um, going back to the Bible college and the ideas there, I, there was one person that was talking to me once, and he's like, man, it'd be so exciting to start a church. And it is exciting. I'm not downplaying that. But when I think of planning a church and you, you start a church, the first thing that comes to mind is not exciting. First thing that comes to mind is work is like grind, dedication, and stuff like that. And I could see how, in theory, it's like, well, we're going to do this, 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 and this, and it's going to grow, and within five years, we're going to have this and whatever. But also, that's not how God works. He doesn't work on our timelines. So what was there some, what what was the idea behind starting a church? Was there a bunch of excitement like that going into it? Was it, this is where God wants me? Probably a little bit of a mix of both in some ways. Yeah, there, there was a little bit. I heard an evangelist one time talking about home missions. He said, "This is home missions. Home missions is you're in somewhere. You're preaching. You're preaching to your wife and and your children. And someone that you don't expect walks through the doors. And next thing you know, they're crying and you praying through the Holy Ghost. And they go get there. And I'm thinking, this guy does not know what home missions <laughs> is. I know what it is to preach to my wife and my son, and do it service after service and you know, home missions is sometimes giving everything you've got and seeing very little in return. Right. So, so, but it's a calling. It's the same thing. It can be it's very wonderful, very fulfilling, very incredible if you have a calling. Now, for me, I really felt in my heart. Now, if my wife were here at a microphone, she'd be able to chime in right about now. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure my wife was ever convinced when we started the church that it was a compelling call 
Um, she didn't buck or resist, but for me, I felt like it was. So I went there because I felt like that's what God would have me to do. And that's the only reason I was there. I was there for three years. I left. When I went to Hillsboro, I had preached at Hillsboro from time to time. And without, almost without fail, I would say to my wife, I'm so glad that we don't live in this city and we're not pastoring <laughs> this church. And we would go back to, you know, wherever we were, Newburgh or before that, Oregon City. And I got a phone call one day from the pastor, Randy Langling, and he said, I am going to be resigning the church here in Hillsboro, and I feel like God has dealt with me that you are the one to pastor. I just want to call and ask you if you'd pray about it. Immediately, something fell in my heart, and right at that moment, I could have said yes, but doing the spiritual thing, I said, let me pray for it a couple for a couple of days and I'll call you back. And I did call him back and probably a day later. God put a love in my heart on that moment. And when I left Hillsboro, I grieved over the people, but as far as to go back there and live, I have no desire to. Right. So for for I guess long answer to both questions would be I went there because I felt compelled and I think God puts that in your heart. Right. And that's what happened. Well, and I going back to the term excitement, people think it's exciting to be a pastor in general too, and it kind of goes to what we talked about at the beginning. Like if that's the if that's the driving factor be, be for you to be a pastor, it's the wrong factor because because yeah. while preaching is exciting and stuff, it also stinks to get behind the pulpit and not have a a, a burden, not have a it's not just going up there and screaming and yelling and all that stuff that people sometimes perceive it to be. Yeah, and there's a danger there. Uh, if you don't have a burden and you have someone there that has a greater burden than you, who's going to run the church? Right. Yeah. It's not going to be you. And all of a sudden, you're going to struggle with leadership. You're going right. to struggle with direction for your church. Yeah. Well, I, I think about the writer of Hebrews in uh, chapter 10, uh, verse 32. The Bible says, But call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. It goes on to say that there was a, a, a large reproach and a large amount of affliction that had come, of course, to the Apostle Paul. Uh, we don't know if he's the writer, but what, what, the, what the writer is saying is that there is a great, um, there's a great challenge not just before you receive the Holy Ghost, but he says after you were illuminated. And so really ministry begins at your conversion with God, receiving the power of God to minister. I've, I've made a prayer, at least in my personal life, that I want to minister in the power of the Spirit. And I think that's something that I'm sure you have found to be very true, Pastor, as you have ministered, that we can't do this thing without God. And... Um, if you just would maybe have some words of advice, um, even for other pastors, and and to me, um, we don't know who's going to be listening into this podcast, but whether they are ministers, so-called pastors that um, do not have the truth, whether they are pastors that do, um, realizing that if, if there's a sincerity in their heart to follow God, that they're going to receive the power to minister as they really want to, um, seems to be just a great divide in our culture of 
what ministry really is and and how to not it's not just counseling it's not just talking it's not just preaching but it's doing it with with the power of god every level from conversion to the day you die you are going to reach different places of ministry whether you're called to the preaching ministries or whether you're a lay minister at every level you you go to, you're going to face that opposition. It happens after you're converted. Come on. Why? Because the greatest time to terminate someone's ministry is right when it gets started or before it really gets started. So the Satan strategically is going to do that. Okay. Now here's the flip side. If you endure those moments, you discover that God can take you through those moments you discover him in a greater way. And you discover his power and his strength in a greater way. I was at a conference called upon to just, it was like a two or three minute thing I was speaking. And uh, I, I spoke, got finished. And my former pastor's wife turned to her husband and said, he's going through something right now. And the reason she said that, she felt an anointing. And she equated that when you are going through something, if you are rely on God, the anointing will become powerful. You cannot do anything without God's help. Adversity shows it. And if you rely on God, God will take you through those things. There's times I have not been able, I could see 10 years from now, but I couldn't see tomorrow. And those are the times when God has shown himself and when I look back at my ministry down back through the years, when I'm looking for the power of God, I don't see him in the conferences I preached. He was there. He was powerfully there. But I see him in the moments of adversity when he was there. That's what helps me to know that I had a calling. That's powerful stuff right there. I'm going to kind of transition. We've talked a lot about um, you and your experiences growing up literally under you uh, as your kid and then in the ministry under you there's been an obvious focus on leadership that's something that's been a focus for many years probably the majority of your ministry and of course there's probably a transition that happened a little bit but why is that why is that something that's so important to you I'm of the opinion that leadership is a calling just as well as preaching. You can be called to a pa- be a pastor or a preacher and not be a leader. And I will say, you better learn how to lead, because, but it doesn't mean you know how to lead because you're going to be called on to lead. But then there is the level of leadership that I believe is a calling from God and I could point back, and I don't want it to be uh, about me, really, honestly. But when I look back on my life, I can see from a very early age, God putting me in places where I had to lead because I believe it's a calling. So as I have felt the anointing of God to preach to the church that I pastor, or the congregation that I'm ministering to, and feel that anointing, 
just as real and compelling, I have felt an anointing to lead people. Mm-hmm. That's something that has to be important in leadership if you're going to be a godly leader. Do you feel that people are natural born leaders? And this is, I know there's two, uh, it's almost a divisive subject, but question, but are, are people natural born leaders? And I, I kind of feel like they are, but I want to hear your perspective on it. And I've gone back and forth on that. And there, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer. I would say no with a qualifier. I believe that people have a nat- certain natural personality uh, tendencies or characteristics that make them able to lead easier than others. If that person that has that, if that's all that they have, eventually they're going to burn out on that. A person who feels a need and, and God's dealing with them about leading, God can help develop that. And I, but I think either one of them have to learn either from experiences. I'm not, I read books, but a lot of the leadership lessons I have learned has been in leading, okay, mm-hmm. and observing. Yeah. I, I learn a lot by observation. So a person can, so no, I don't think necessarily they're born leaders, but I think they're born with certain abilities to help them to lead. If cultivated, they become become great leaders. Right. I think it goes to probably the definition of what, what your definition is of leader. If you're talking about a called leader, well, it. I mean, I guess in the Bible there were people that were called from their mother's womb. But for the most part, there's not going to be a natural born leader. But my idea of that there is one simply goes to there's people with more tendencies of that. And also, even like you mentioned, with growing up in a pastor's home, gave you more familiarity with pastoring and stuff like that. If you grew up in a strong leader's home, you're going to gain some of that as well. But eventually it has to become you as you know, you have to, as you mentioned, learn and be able to develop and going also, there's a book that you, you have recommended that all of us read by Gordon McDonald, the ordering your private world. And he even talks about that in the beginning of his book of a time in his life when he had relied on his natural born skill. And basically it came to this turning point in his life where he, he, he kind of was crumbling under the pressure of he had relied simply on that natural born skill and not developed any foundation underneath it. So it began to crumble and it was all going to go away. And I haven't read the whole book, so maybe he figures it out. He wrote the book, so he probably did. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, but but that goes back to that where sure you get the natural tendencies and you can rely on those for a while but you won't grow you won't you will you're, you will always max out there will always be a point where you know what's going on with this guy he's not he's been at the same point for a while it's because he's just relying on his natural born tendencies or and, and i think the end of yourself is where you find god's help mm-hmm. and i think no matter how talented you are whatever whether it's leadership or singing or whatever your talent may be those that just are able to maximize off their talent without development will have a, a limited ceiling. But when they get to the end of themselves is when they discover God is able right. to help them. And that's yeah. very vital. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And it's, like you mentioned, it, it is very vital, that understanding that you can't rely on yourself. So with leadership and pastoring, there's also another important role that the pastor 
is called upon to do pretty much weekly, and that's preaching. So I'm going to just start this off. Uh, my first question to this is going to be, is going to be really uh, different. Is there an art to preaching? I believe that when I preach the last message that I preach, when that day comes, of course I won't know it's my last. I'll still be trying to learn how to preach. Yeah, I do believe there's an there's a it, some call it a craft. You know, use the word art, skill, how to communicate to people effectively and to use ways to do that so that you can do it to the best of your ability is basically how to learn how to preach. You're going to develop your own style over time. And in all, but yeah, I would say there is, there is, if you're going to take it seriously, you're going to be a student of it and try to learn. Right. And, and probably one of the most important parts is relying on, the foundation that we kind of address and that's that's the the burden and and call that you've received in your life and all that because we we can an individual can learn how to move a crowd that has been talked about probably for a long time before I've ever been around uh you know some of that can be learned and it, and that's the art being able to communicate effectively that's something that obviously I'm struggling with right now as I stumble through my words but um, it's something that we can all work on, but having the 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 um, the anointing that's that, that's something that's learned as well. But it's it's also something that is prayed through. Yeah, learning. So the anointing, the presence of God on you while you speak. Learning to allow it to flow. Because you're experiencing it, and some guys experience it, and it locks them up almost because they're enjoying the experience, and they can't get the words out. Mm -hmm. But learning to relax under that and let it flow, that's apostolic preaching. That's what Peter did. Right. That's what, I would rather go, and I'm, I'll be tested on this in the future. I've been tested on the past, so I can safely say it. But I'd rather go to the pulpit with one scripture with no clue where I'm going to go after I read that scripture than a whole sheath of notes mm -hmm. and not know that God is in it. Yeah. Because that's critical. Otherwise you might as well just sell soap or something. Right. Right. Uh, a, a thought that I had recently was as I, I, I was thinking about a time that I talked and like, you're so motivated to get through your notes to get, all the way through the end because you know what you have and hopefully your notes are inspired because hopefully you're praying and all that but in that moment when you're more focused on getting through your notes than maybe thinking about what you're saying like what's the priority is this about it that's making it about you that's making the message the whatever you're presenting talking about it's making it about you rather than what god wants and that's probably one of the hardest parts of preaching to know when you're done yeah. And the sad thing is, if you don't, as much as you may not know when you're done, the people you're preaching to do. Yeah, that's the truth. So, yeah. so true. Yeah. What's the purpose of preaching? And the, the Bible defines it a little bit, but what's, what's the purpose of preaching? I'll save them that believe. 
it the, the purpose of preaching is to is to get somebody's soul to respond from the place that they're in to the place where God wants them to be. That's what preaching's for. If it's a sinner, it's to salvation. If it's a saint, maybe faith for the trial, or maybe there's some things in their life they're not surrendering, a place right. to surrender. You're trying to get a soul from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's probably something that's important to remember as well when you're preaching, is what's the purpose of this? This is not about to speak eloquently. This is not about anything but other, other than that. And to remember... Um, when a person's preaching, is that if a person is preaching correctly, is that message from them or is it from God? Because it should be from God, always. And yeah, go ahead. No, that well, what, you got to go to the pulpit with a message from God every time. I go to the pulpit without fail. It is my strong, heartfelt desire to have the message that that congregation needs at that moment. Brother Johnny King told me one time, he prays, God, help me preach the right message at the right time. Right. I believe that's how he said it. And that really is what you're after. There's a, you know, not long ago we had a service where I only got through just a little bit of my notes. I'll never preach that last part of that message most likely Mm-hmm. at least here in in the local congregation. And there was some stuff that I really wanted to get to. Right. But what was going on was the right time. And the only way that that message will ever come back would be if the right time happens again. Right. Because the timing of what you're preaching is very, very important. Yeah. And and that's something that almost needs to be reciprocated by the those listening to the messages. Forget about while the oratory of it all, and maybe that's not a good word to use for it, but while the presentation of it may need to be refined by the preacher, if the preacher's in the will of God, if the preacher's prayed up, that message is is for that moment regardless of the presentation. We are so presentation-oriented. Yeah. We really are. The world is definitely turning that way. One question that I failed to ask on the leadership that I, I think is important is what do you think is lacking in leadership in the day that we live in integrity i think there's a lot we've become so focused on image that you know let's mix it in with preaching a little bit when when you have a preacher in the pulpit you have their message and you have what they are both of those are coming out People are catching their spirit. You can have someone that's not that great of an orator, but you can feel their burden and you can you can feel their message and you'll respond. Mm-hmm. Uh, too many people today are image conscious, and so leaders want to be perceived a certain way. But I don't believe you'll ever be able to lead people beyond what you are. Right. And so if you don't have integrity, and I think that's really really lacking agendas are abound um goals and ideas abound concepts abound but we are losing integrity yeah that's that's powerful and the idea that you'll never be able to lead somebody beyond the place that you're at that that's also something that's really important because we think we can pull from i don't know what and be able to lead and it really goes to 
foundation, which is something that you have have also hammered through your ministry, hammered it talked about and and tried to ingrain in in what well, and why is that necessary? Well, several reasons. One is your foundation. If it's not strong, your ministry will crumble without a fail. Without fail, it's just too many pressures. If you don't have, if you ever think you get beyond the need to pray or the need to get your your nose in the scripture, um, you're gonna, you're set for fall. So your ministry will never succeed and be firm if you don't have a good foundation. The other thing about the foundation is if you're wanting to do something great for God, meaning, and by that, what I'm going to define that is you have a call, you have a vision, you have a burden. You see where you're trying to go. If the people that you lead, you're not able to help them to achieve a foundation they're not going to be able to get there. They're going to have the same cave-in as anybody else. Right. So you're never going to be strong in your foundation. But if you have a good foundation, you can widen out. Your ministry can become very strong. It's even along the lines of something that you mentioned while you've teached before of the pastor. If the pastor is struggling with something, whatever that something is, then typically his leadership will cause the saints, the people that, are, that he is leading, to struggle with the same thing. And so it would go to the foundation. You'll never be able to uh, lead them past that point, get them through that, that whatever that situation is, because you don't know how. No, you can't. You, if, you, if you're struggling with something, you can't preach about it. Right. At least effectively. And you can try, and people will notice, hmm, something's off. Well, if you can't preach about it, it can't be addressed in their life. Right. So now you've limited your congregation. Yeah. That makes, that makes sense. So when you have people, and we're probably coming close to the end of this, but when you have people in your church that are growing and, and you see them, there, there's different factors that you can see. You, can see a, a, you, you could look at a person that's 40 years old. You could look at three people that are 40, year, 40 years old. You could see one of them maybe got in the church when they were 30. One of them maybe was raised in the church, and who knows what the background of the other one was. Um, but when you look at them and putting them in a position, putting them, using them, whatever, what do you look at? Do you look at their spiritual age? Do you look at their physical age? Do you look at those attributes? Or is it something more deeper than that? When I look for involving people in key areas of the church, because you want to involve everybody somewhere, but we're talking about you, you want to plug somebody in somewhere. Right. I don't look at how long they've been in the church to a degree. I look at how far they've developed. There's some things I want to know. I want to know, do they have a prayer life? Do I sense the anointing of God upon them? Do they have this apostolic doctrine? Are they committed to it? Do they know it? Do they believe it? Do they have a passion for the kingdom of God? Then there's another thing I learned. It was a book, Decision Points, by George W. Bush. He made the statement when he involves somebody, he didn't look at their skill level always. He assumed by the time they're interviewing for that particular position, they probably have skills. But do they share the same core values? 
if you have somebody that shares your same core values, whether it doesn't matter what they're doing, there's going to be there's going to be uh, harmony and peace in the church because people are going to be going the same direction. So I'm looking for do they you know do they have the anointing of God in their life, prayer life, obviously Acts two thirty eight salvation. Do they believe in this apostolic doctrine? Is it is it something that they know and believe? Um, do we share core values? Do they have a passion? And that's what I'm looking for. And a lot of times, all that answers itself because you see this passion and you see this desire and you see this hunger, and all you're doing is pointing them in the direction that God's put the burden in their heart. And it usually, it's self-defining. Yeah, that's that's intriguing. It it goes beyond the physical stuff that we look at, but it also goes down to anointing. You, you mentioned that, and I think that's interesting in that a lot of times anointing is equated to a pulpit ministry, but you don't look at, you don't look for anointing just simply based off of they're going to be using the pulpit. It's just a, something you look at on any saint's life. In their life, and you can see it, you can see it as God works in their life and how, just a lot of ways, their prayer, the way they walk with God. Right. Yeah. So, You've mentioned a couple of books. You've mentioned Significance Factor and Decision Points. What What is one book that had, you would say, other than the Bible, that has played a critical role either in your whatever development, one that just stands out to you, whether it's your ministry, whether it's preaching, whether it's just your life in general, leadership? One book that I've shared, it's not a very big book, that I've shared with our ministry team, and be my be fine with me if everybody read it, was The Last Generation of Truth. And the idea was that, you know, it shows a progression. You, you both are familiar with the book. It shows a progression of when someone first comes into the church, how they're excited, have great passion. They start doing great things for God. The next generation comes and tries to build a sort of an administration and be able to retain what has been accomplished. The third generation comes in, it's all they've ever known. For lack of better words, they're kind of bored with it. It's kind of just mundane. It's what they've always known. So they're kind of looking for something different a little bit, and they drop the ball, and the whole thing comes down. My, my, uh, th- What that book did for me was, because I was third generation, and so I want the passion for the kingdom of the first generation. Right. And I can say, and I was telling my wife this the other day, as I get older, I'm not old, but as I get older, maybe I don't have as much energy or maybe, you know, you, you, you have changes you go through. But my desire for apostolic revival, for the winning of souls, and for the mentorship and development of preachers and the next generation I, my passion and burden for that is at an all-time high. And and so that first-generation mentality. So that book yeah. uh, it was a big deal. That, that book scares me. <laughs> I like that book. It is a good It's something to make you very much aware because it, it's something that you don't want to be lost. It's not something you want to be lost at all. Um. The audience may not know this, um, but uh, our pastor is involved, uh, of course, on a 
leadership level locally in the church. Also, um, he's been involved with leadership on a state level, district level, you could say, and also also at a national level with the Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship. And so it, it seems to me, Pastor, that when there is success, when there's affluence, when you're confident, not proud, not arrogant, but you're confident in what God is doing in your life, that people will have a temptation or a tendency to lean upon you, to draw more out of you. And it can it can happen. Um, I'm sure you've seen this where people then begin to rely on the ministry instead of God. So they're looking for answers from the pastor rather than from God. And that is a distorted relationship, of course. But obviously your one of your giftings has been leadership and being able to develop other leaders. Do you see a great need for cooperation or unity amongst the body of Christ, maybe even other leaders to bring in or to compliment you and to help in areas that you would see maybe as being deficient or um, lacking. I just, there seems to be a great need, at least in my eyes, of unity across um, local lines, you know, even nationally, internationally, that type of thing. Definitely. We're, we're serving the same God. We have the same purpose. As long as we have the same doctrine, and I think doctrine's very crucial. There should be a unity. I was just talking with somebody today about some sensitive things and, and was giving them some direction. And they, they said to me, I really appreciate what you've said. My wife and I were just talking. And many of the very things that you just literally, the very things you just said, were the very things that we felt. It was a confirmation in the Holy Ghost. Now we can move on together. I think when you bring leaders in, and you know, we do that from time to time here. One of the things we do at our annual GAP conference is to bring men in and to give them a chance to pour into ministry in this area. It, it does create a unity, and it creates a power. The Holy Ghost is trying to do the same thing. It's interesting Many of the time through the years, I have found it wasn't unusual, maybe not obviously not the exact same message, but this very similar theme being preached in pulpits on the same day across America by apostolic preachers. And when that happens, or maybe as I leave and go to a national conference and the things are preached there, are the same things that have been being preached in the local church. The Holy Ghost has a flow. And what we're tapping into through that is this Holy Ghost so that it can can impact the kingdom worldwide. So, yeah, I think that's very important. We even had an experience like that in our church a few years ago when, what, three or four messages were preached on the same topic, the boys in the boat that's and right. the unity that... that um, of course, it stood out. That's a, that's another interesting book. I've never read it, but it sounds interesting. Well, it's been a good interview. It's been really interesting. A lot of great things learned. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Any parting thoughts, Pastor? 
Just that, you know, if you're called to ministry, it's a wonderful calling. Don't shirk it. Don't run from it. Don't be intimidated by it. You both are young. God has given you that what it takes to meet this generation's challenges. Don't ever be intimidated by your generation. And if you'll stay in the doctrine, if you'll stay in your prayer life, and you'll keep your families in their place where they need to be with God, and that's a whole other subject we didn't really talk about, but you can meet the challenges of this generation. Don't be intimidated. God will, God will bring it through. Very good. Well, we appreciate you taking time today. We appreciate all you that have tuned in to listen to this episode of Behind the Glass Podcast. Please give us a follow on Instagram at BTG Podcast Official. There's a lot of Behind the Glass Podcasts out there, evidently. So BTG Podcast Official on Instagram. And we're going to be giving away a book. We're going to give away The Last Generation of Truth. So make sure you go to Instagram, you look for that post, you do the requirements, and hopefully you'll be the winner. But thank you so much for taking time to listen to this episode, and we will catch you next time.